To the Brothers Book Club podcast, a new week, a new book, and the same old host. Um, Ryan is still on paternity leave, and as I've said in the last couple episodes, extremely occupied in the best, uh, most wonderful way. So it's just me again this week with our review of Penguin's Little Black Classic collection of the Tinder Box. This week, uh, since I've been doing these by myself and have been trying some solo episodes, which if you've been soldiering through them with me, just let me say thank you, respect, and I appreciate it. I'm uh, deciding this week, or I've decided rather, to kind of play with the form a little bit and do something a bit different. So I'm going to walk through that and talk through it in a second, and then we'll get right to the episode. So one thing that has become quite clear is that I do not do well just kind of playing off of myself. I like having a guest on the show, or I like having my brother co-host with me. And so this week, instead of kind of setting up an outline as usual and just kind of freely discussing different components of the text, which, you know, it's been fun doing that, but I figured I would try something more structured. Uh, instead, I've written an actual script, so every word I've kind of put down and assembled sort of a brief essay about the collection this week. I'll still be hitting a lot of the familiar components, so I'll do a lot of quotes and talk through different elements of the text that I responded to or didn't, and eventually, you know, there will be a review in there. There's also a little bit of light outside research, too, which I don't know if any of you have come to expect that, but that's included in here also. So trying something different this week. Again, it will be a script. In a second, I'll play some transition music, and then we'll jump right to me reading from the script and sort of doing that. We'll see how it goes. I'm intrigued by the format. Maybe it'll be interesting, and I'll try it in future episodes where Ryan is unavailable. As always, thanks so much for your support. We really appreciate you guys listening to the show. I think Ryan will be back quite soon. That's the estimate, is maybe another week or two, and then he'll be back doing reviews and covering the Penguin Classics with me pretty, pretty soon. Um, So we appreciate the patience. And again, thanks for listening into the solo episodes. If you've been enjoying them, let us know. If not, you know, don't tell me, don't hurt my feelings. Um, Just kidding. Yeah. If you have any comments or anything, feel free to send them in. Let's get right to the scripted episode. I should have assumed that the exploration of Penguin's 80 Little Black Classics would include a hearty dose of fables and fairy tales. They are the tales, after all, that can be found in nearly any culture, and for a long time to boot. And we already actually covered some uh, collections of these fairy tales and fables on the Brothers Book Club podcast, including Wailing Ghosts, which was a Chinese collection, and the ghastly story brought to light by a dog, uh, which is German. That was a recent episode. And we've got some coming up, uh, too, including Kipling's The Gate of the Hundred Sorrows, which is a short story collection slash collection of fables. If you've listened to those episodes, you may rightly be able to predict many of the things that I'm going to say on today's podcast, but here's the short version. I don't like them. I get bored by them. These are kinds of stories and um, styles of storytelling that often strip away the things from stories that I most enjoy, like character development, ambiguity in the story, uh, and stylistic or rhetorical flourishes. 
which perhaps is maybe the point after all. These stories are part of the oral storytelling tradition, one that's heavily reliant on name-dropping and moralizing, and often both at the same time. There are also stories, as the Wikipedia page for today's author, Hans Christian Andersen, has so helpfully reminded me, often intended for children. And in that regard, this is a mostly successful collection, you know, sort of. I doubt that the childish wonders of toys coming to life or a girl haunted by her own shoes and her own feet, which more on that later, would shock or surprise anybody growing up in the internet age. You know, kids these days have Paw Patrol and they've got SpongeBob and they've got Slender Man to contend with after all. And, you know, that's a lot. But still, there are twists and turns of plenty in this collection, in addition to pretty clear lessons that one could take forward into young adulthood. I'll add here that Wikipedia doesn't fully agree with me on this point. They have editorialized in a line about how uh, these stories transcend age or nationality, which, sure, is fair enough, as a lot of them are too strange to be firmly situated in any particular time period or culture, with a few exceptions. Wikipedia even quotes a London Journal review from 1846 that says uh, a collection of Hans Christian Andersen's is, quote, a book for grandchildren as well as grandparents. I can't say that will be my full interpretation. Also, as a quick side note, you should really go read the quote Wikipedia pulled from the German philosopher Kierkegaard on Anderson. It's really kind of brutal stuff there and, yeah, sort of humorous in a way. And for those curious enough to want the distinction, the Penguin Literary Dictionary puts the tinderbox firmly in the category of fairy tales. They even reference it directly. And fairy tales descend from the oral tradition and tend to have heroes or heroines who, quote, experience various adventures of a more or less supernatural kind, including magic, charms, disguise, and spells. They differ, though, in the happily ever after kind. I I didn't find many of these in the collection to be the happily ever after kind of stories, though, again, there are a few. Couldn't these stories also be considered fables, though? That was sort of my thought. By the same dictionary's account, quote, A fable is a short narrative in prose or verse which points a moral. Non-human creatures or inanimate things are normally the characters, which, compared to a few of their other examples that they included from Russia, India, and Greece, might only be different in just how obvious they make the moral at the end. It seems like fables and fairy tales might have a lot in common. As we usually do on this show, we'll default to the academics on that. Feel free to email us at onthestump1 at gmail.com if you have thoughts, and if you're buried in the stacks doing research, etc., etc. Alright, so hopefully I've been begging the question obviously enough. Why would an adult, in the year of our entertainment options 2019, spend precious little free time they have reading old fairy tables and or fables? And why is an excellent question indeed? And I don't think I have a great answer, though I'll try to stand by the tinderbox when I can and assess it on its own merits. I just refuse to attempt complete impartiality, which, if you've been listening, might just be the point of this whole podcast and all. You know, we're ones to give our opinion and speak pretty directly, I think. I hope. The collection Penguin has assembled here has six tales in it, one of which is literally one and a half pages long, which it's the princess and the pea, by the way. Yes, that story, the classic, quote unquote. And I've found three of these entertaining enough to discuss and pick apart. We'll probably just ignore the other three outright. To me, who was born in 1989, all fairy tales and fables have the burden of forever following the iconic 1992 postmodern text, The Stinky Cheese Man. 
That work took the oft-buried absurdity and grotesqueness of original fairy tales and amplified it, while also sort of turning it on its head. So I'm left to search a collection like the Tinderbox for zany oddities, outrageous non-sequiturs, and disturbing plot twists. In that regard, the Tinderbox holds up surprisingly well. There's the lovelorn tin soldier who eventually melts into a, quote, little tin heart, and the tormented Karen, which, just as an aside here, 2019 is an odd time for uh, Karen as a name online, so that was kind of a weird thing to read in a book that's hundreds of years old. Anyway, there's tormented Karen who ends up having her feet axed off and then watches them, the, the feet, that is, chase her around. So all in all, it has the weirdness without the postmodernism, which is really just fine by me. Uh, but what isn't quite so fine, though, is the depth of characterization here. Take Little Klaus and Big Klaus, a story about as subtle and deep as its title, frankly. That's about all you need to know. Big Klaus isn't our main character. He's blundering and violent, going so far as to hack an already deceased person with an axe. But, you know, hey, he's persistent, and that has to count for something. Our Little Klaus is a sort of sniveling yet crafty character. He's not one to cry over a dead horse. Instead, he sort of trickily swaps it for a bushel full of money, which is apparently the accepted measurement of currency in this story. That seems to be what everybody's after, just going after their bushel fulls. Though Little Klaus is deceptive, I would even point to a couple moments that you could call cruel. Uh, he has enough merit to make his adventures entertaining and maybe you won't feel so bad about him in the end. And while the big Klaus, little Klaus, tete-a-tete has moments of fun, the characters are static and the dialogue is bland. Simply put, it's a drag to read. A reaction like, and that certainly pleased her, which is a quote, is about the entertainment offered here and about the depth, too. And that childish simplicity and style permeates the rest of the collection, of course. It's all pretty consistent, which, you know, fables and fairy tales and all. But that doesn't mean it's worth your precious reading minutes. This is the truly precious and comically outdated introduction to the Nightingale story. Quote, In China, as you probably know, the emperor is Chinese, and everyone around him is Chinese too. And, end quote, and sure, that line has a gentle and soothing sound to it, a bit like a bedtime story, probably the intention. Uh, but you'll have to mimic the tone of your, you know, former parent or guardian to f- kind of read that generously and make it work. Many of the transitions in this collection and the style of it has that gentle simplicity, too. Here are a few in no particular order. Quote, then it started to rain. Or, quote, then the toys began to play. Or, quote, once upon a time, there were 25 tin soldiers, end quote. Out of context, these sound more absurd than they actually are, of course, and I don't want them to seem like harmful or damaging or anything. But they are emblematic of storytelling that I no longer love, though, hey, respect for clarity and efficiency, I suppose. For those of you who love fairy tales and are fable defenders and you're listening, you may well be wondering, but what of the humor? What of the fun? What of the oddities? And yes, many of those things are present. There are a few outdated and problematic editions, like this little gem of circular wisdom, which is on page six. Quote, the soldier couldn't resist. He had to kiss her, the princess, because he was a real soldier, which, you know, let's see how that holds up in 2019. Uh, it does not hold up well. Yet again, in that same story, uh, on the more fun side, we get this frightful and I think hilarious image. Quote, then the dogs rushed at the judge and the entire council, seizing one by the leg and one by the nose, and flinging them high into the air, so they fell back down and were crushed to bits. 
I think he could have gone way more into the description there, but I'm almost thankful that he didn't. There's also the oddly specific loathing that this farmer has for a, a deacon in their town in Big Klaus and Little Klaus story, proving that specifics can be fun, but are kind of meaningless without some kind of cultural or historical context. Maybe my favorite random occurrence was the sewer rat in a story demanding a travel pass of the tin soldier in the rat's own words, quote, Have you got a travel pass? Stop him. Stop him. He didn't pay the toll. He didn't show his travel pass. Again, though, if these are meant as a social commentary, they're too veiled to have any impact on a reader like me, a person with as much energy and interest as it takes to Wikipedia something for the most part. A quick suggestion for any scholars listening, though, feel free to investigate some of the religious meanings in this one and start with the Red Shoes story. It's like an old Danish version of Footloose, but just way more disturbing and doesn't have any like charming conclusion to it. So start there. There's, I think, a less than veiled uh, religious critique in it. Look, for me, fairy tales and fables, no matter how old, have a lot to contend with in 2019. YouTube and TikTok, even, which I don't use, but I will feign to understand, can offer far more nonsense at a much faster pace for for young readers. And Pixar films are more complex and probably more entertaining for kids, even. Dr. Seuss and his, you know, picture book ilk, they're far more pleasing to the ear. You know, they're more aesthetically enjoyable. I'm just not a very generous or foolish enough reader to ignore these realities, and I feel like our podcast is pretty consistent with that perspective. While I will continue to defend many classics, and often do so through the kind of memory and lens of academia, I can't muster much for the tinderbox. I completely agree with the message of the from the London Review excerpt that I read at the beginning, but I disagree that this collection is the best delivery mechanism for moral tales today. It's a 1 out of 3 rating for me. For fans of fairy tales and fables only, everyone else, feel free to pass. And that was the, well, the new and reformed scripted version of this show. It was definitely more brief, which is of course ironic, considering that it takes a lot more time to write a script out than just to plan an outline and freestyle. I do hope you enjoyed it. It definitely felt different reading something that had already been prepped and thought through and kind of revised, edited, and I sort of enjoyed it, though again, you know, the end product, the end result is just a much quicker pod. So hopefully you enjoyed. Uh, if you do pick up the tinderbox or any of the uh, Anderson's collection of stories and fables and fairy tales, you know, let us know about it. Our email is onthestump1 at gmail.com. That's the number one. So onthestump1 at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the, the Stumped. That's where we keep posts and updates and things like that. There's some art on our Instagram too, so come check us out if you're intrigued by, you know, art and design things, some pen and ink. Thanks again for listening, and check in with us next week. We're doing some Rudyard Kipling, a very complicated figure, I think, in 2019. Uh, Preview, I've already finished that collection of short stories, and I would say it's pretty mixed. There's some intriguing stuff in there, and some dull stuff too, and some problematic stuff, so he's really doing it all next week. Hope you check in with us then, and again, thanks for listening. We will see you soon between the classics. (laughs) 